Can you hear me now? All right. Well, welcome back to 40 Days of Prayer, week two. <laughs> oh, one of the things that irritates me is when people call you on the phone and they don't identify themselves. They don't tell you who they are. They just, they just start talking. And I don't know if they just assume that my caller ID picked up who they were or, or what, but they, they just talk to me like, like I'm supposed to know exactly who they are. But you know, when you don't know who's on the other end of the phone, it really affects your conversation a lot. For example, I called a woman in our church, I'm not going to say her name, um, but she saw the number on caller ID and didn't recognize it, and when I started talking to her, she thought I was a telemarketer and was a little abrupt with me until she figured out I was her preacher, <laughs> Katie, <coughs> Corey. <laughs> but I'm not going to say any names. It was. <laughs> but if you don't know who's on the other end of the line, you're going to be a little more guarded in your conversation and your tone. Because you don't know, is this the Pope or is this the pizza guy? Who, who am I talking to? What words are appropriate and inappropriate to say? How do I properly address them? And if you don't know a lot about the person, you tend to be a little more formal, don't you? I mean, for me, it's easy to see how well somebody really knows me by how they address me. Right? Family, friends, people that I know, they walk up to me and they say, hey, Tim, how's it going? Tim, how you doing? But if someone ever comes up and says, hello, pastor, how is your day? Or, hello, reverend, then, then I quickly realize they, they don't know me, or at least don't know me very well. And so that proximity and that relationship really determines how you talk to people, doesn't it? And you know the same is true about God? Our understanding of what God is really like shapes our conversation with Him and shapes everything else in our life, including our prayers. Nothing influences our life more than how do we view God. And there are a lot of misconceptions about God. There, there, there are some people that think God is this grumpy God, right? He is just cranky and angry and upset all the time, and nothing you do will ever please Him. Some people see God as this crouching tiger God, and He's ready to just pounce on you the moment you make a wrong move. Some people see Him as a flaky God, and He's moody, and He's constantly changing His mind. Some people see God as a cosmic cop and his whole goal is just to make sure you keep each and every one of the rules. Some people see him as a dictator God and he's always demanding more and more out of you and it's never enough. Some people see him as a Santa Claus God and he's making his list and he's checking it twice. And Are you naughty? Are you nice? Some people see him as a, a Plato God. They, they think that they can just form him into any form that they want. Or, or even like a Mr. Potato Head God. And you can just kind of piece him together and put him together. And I want God to be like this and this, but not that. And we'll give him two of these. And... But it always kind of amuses me when people say, you know, well, I think that God is like... When the truth is, it doesn't really matter what, what I think God is like. When it comes to God, the, the truth is, what is he really like? 
That's what's most important. And it's important that we know the real God. Because if we have these crazy misconceptions about who God is, then our prayer life is going to be kind of a drudgery. It's going to seem like a duty, like, like something we have to do, not something we get to do. And we're going to feel guilty about it. And guilt motivation just never works. It never helps. So we need to have the right concept of who God is. A.W. Tozer said this, What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you because it affects everything else in your life. So I guess the question is, what is God really like? And the Bible has a lot of different characteristics. It says he's all-knowing, he's omniscient, He's all-powerful, omnipotent. He's omnipresent, which means he can be everywhere at the same time. And the Bible tells us God is holy, and he is just, and he is kind, and he is loving, and he is faithful. And there's a lot of characteristics of God, but this morning I want us to look at one. I want us to look at the goodness of God. Because I think it's the goodness of God that is the basis of prayer. Because if God is not a good God, then we really have zero reason to pray. We have zero motivation to pray. And the only reason there is good in this world is because God is a good God. And God is the creator of everything that is good in our universe. And if there's no God, then there's no good. There's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. And you know, people will come up and they'll say, well, why is there evil in the world? Well, that's simple, right? It's because God doesn't force us to be good and to do good. The evil that is in the world is because God gives us this free choice and we choose not to be good and not to do good all the time. Evil's pretty easy to explain. The hard thing to explain is why is there good in this world? And the only reason is because we have a good God. And because God is good, there are some things that we can know about prayer and about our prayer life. And so I want us to understand those and look at those this morning because when we understand how good God really is, we're going to begin to enjoy our prayer life even more. Because anytime prayer life becomes a ritual and it becomes boring, I think it's because we don't really understand how good God really is. So this morning, there's five implications that I want to look at about the goodness of God in our life. And it starts here, because God is good, God's plan for my life is good. You ever heard that question, is there anything God cannot do? Or, is there a boulder God makes so big that he can't even move it? You know, there are some things that God cannot do. God cannot deny himself. God cannot be evil. God is good, and so by his nature, he cannot do anything that is bad. And so because God is good, we know that his plans for our life are good. Jeremiah 29.11 says this, I know what I have planned for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. My plans will give you a hope and a good future. And when you call to me and you pray, I will listen to you. Do you see the connection between purpose and prayer? Between God's plan for your life and prayer? See, we have to understand that you're not an accident. 
right? There, there is a purpose for your life. There, there are no accidental parents. There's no accidental children. I mean, your parents may not have planned you, but God did. And he wants you here. He wants you alive. He wants you a part of this family, a part of this life. He has a plan and a purpose. God created you for that. And he did it because, because he loves you and because he is a good God. And you say, well, how do I know God's plan? Well, the more we pray, the more you talk to God, the more you listen to God, the more we begin to understand this plan that God has for our life. He said, I have good plans for you. Plans not to hurt you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And he said, and when you call to me and pray, I will listen to you. David said this in Psalms 31. He said, God, your goodness is so great. You have stored up great blessings for those who honor you. You notice that phrase, stored up. It means God thought about it. It means it was intentionally planned. I mean, think about it. If you're storing up something, like storing up for retirement or saving for something like that, it's intentional. You're planning it out. It's not a willy-nilly kind of experience. And God has stored up great blessings for you. He has great plans for the rest of your life because He is a good God. And as we work through these 40 days of prayer, we begin to see how God blesses our life. But we also know that these blessings aren't automatic. Right? We said last week in James, it says, you have not because you ask not. And so we need to learn to ask. We need to learn to pray. And we ask God for Him to reveal His purpose and His plan in our life. God is a good God. And He has good plans for our lives. And you think, well, not everything in my life is good. If you really knew what was going on, there are some things that are not good. And, and to be honest, God didn't promise that. He didn't say that everything in your life is going to be good. He said, I have good plans for you. But we miss out on some of those good plans when we make our own bad decisions. Right? Because we live on this broken planet. Everything on this planet is broken. Nothing is perfect. Nothing works perfectly. Our bodies are broken. We've noticed that. It doesn't always work right. Our minds are broken. They don't always work right. Right? The weather's broken. The economy's broken. Relationships are broken. Everything is broken. Nothing's perfect. And so God doesn't say, I promise you perfection. I mean, that's heaven, right? When, when we get to heaven, we are promised perfection, but, but we shouldn't expect heaven on earth. In heaven, we get no more sorrow and no more sadness and no more sickness and no more suffering. But here, there's brokenness. But God promises that even in the midst of the brokenness, I have good plans for your life. Even when you make bad choices, I have, I'm greater than those choices. And I can fit those dumb decisions into my good plans. Someone said, you know, God turns crucifixions into resurrections. That's what he does in our life. Romans 8.28 We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. See, notice this promise isn't for everyone in the world. It doesn't say everything is working together for the good of everybody. 
It says, everything is working together for the good of those who love God. I don't know if you guys are bakers, but you know, when, you, when you're baking a cake, the individual ingredients don't taste good, do they? I mean, flour by itself, not very tasty. Raw eggs, not really tasty. You know, baking powder, baking soda, oil, Crisco by themselves, not really good. But you put them all together, you mix it up, and you get batter. We like batter, don't we? I mean, you lick the beaters from the batter when you were kids, right? It's good. Maybe you still do, yeah. But see, God wants to take all the bitter in our life, mix it together, and make it better. Because He is a good God. And the more that we spend time in prayer with Him, the more we're going to learn His purpose for our lives. And the better you know His purpose, the more God can use everything in our lives. Even the stuff that people plan against you, He can use that. One of my favorite stories in Scripture is the story of Joseph. And I love it because Joseph is this brother and all his brothers hate him because he's, you know, father's favorite and and one day he's coming out and they get so mad at him, they grab him and they throw him in a well and they're going to leave him for dead. And then they finally decide, no, let's not kill him. Let's sell him to slavery. Let's make a little money. Right? And they sell him off into slavery in Egypt. And what happens? Over time, as he's faithful, he ends up becoming second in command in all of Egypt. Years later, he confronts his brothers, and this is what he says. He says, your plan was to hurt me, but God turned your evil plan into a good plan to save the lives of many people. It's called redemptive suffering. Sometimes you suffer for the benefit of others. It's what Jesus did for us on the cross. When he died on the cross, it was redemptive suffering, paying for our sins. Right? He didn't pay for his sins. He had none. He paid for ours. And you know, sometimes in our lives, like in the life of Joseph, God takes the bitter and he makes it better because of what we've gone through. And God says it's not all going to be good in your life, but I can use it for good. And I can fit it into this plan. Even the hurts. Even when you're the innocent person hurt by others. Because God is a good God. Romans 5.3 says this, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Sounds kind of masochistic, doesn't it? Oh, happy day, I'm suffering, yeah. He says, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know suffering produces perseverance. We can be happy, we can find joy in the midst of pressures and trials and tribulation because we know. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. That joy in life depends on what we know, not what we're going through. I mean, you can take two people and put them through the exact same circumstances and they come out on the other end and one is happy and the other is devastated. It's all because of what they know that makes a difference. Because God is a good God. And he says, I'll use even the bad stuff in your life for good. Second, because God is a good God, He always gives me what I need, not what I deserve. 
I mean, think about it. If you got what you deserved, if I got what I deserved, it wouldn't be here, would we? Psalms 103 says this, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. God didn't treat us as we deserved because of our sin. He didn't pay us back for our wrongs. It's because Jesus already paid for our wrongs. I love that phrase, as far as the east is from the west. Because there's no end to the east or west, right? I mean, the north and south, we have north poles and we have south poles, but, but there's not an ending to the east or west. And he's saying that God takes your sins and he wipes them out and he forgives and he forgets them. He's a good God and he gives me what I need, not what I deserve. Think about the life of King David. What does King David do? He, he commits adultery with a woman. And then he tries to cover it up. And so what does he do? He has the woman's husband sent off to battle and, and murdered. And pretty big sins, right? Murder, adultery, they're kind of near the top of the list. Did David deserve to be forgiven for that? No. No, did David deserve mercy for that? No. But David knows that God is a good God, and so he asks for mercy. And he says this in Psalms 51, Here, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. All that is based on who God is, not who you are. God forgives you, not because you're good. He forgives you because he's good. It's based on his goodness. He has a plan for us, a great plan for us. And even when we blow it and we need forgiveness, he offers it. And not only does he offer us forgiveness when we ask for him, he welcomes us back. He doesn't reject us. I mean, that's kind of the opposite of what people do today, right? Do you hurt someone and you, you sin against someone, you mess something up? Do, do they welcome you back and receive you back with open arms right away? Not usually, right? They usually kind of stand off and want to be distant and push you away and, oh, I don't trust you now. I'm going to wait and see what happens. But God says, even when you sin, because I am a good God, I welcome you back. I won't reject you. You know, I, I've been a pastor for just over 20 years and I've talked to a lot of people and, and I learned a little secret about most of us. And what I learned is one of our deepest fears is rejection, isn't it? We kind of do just about anything we can to avoid being rejected by others. We, we don't want to be rejected by other people. We want everyone to like us, don't we? We, we want people to say, yeah, he's a good guy, she's a great girl. And so much of our life gets planned around how do we avoid being rejected. And so we don't do certain things and we don't go to certain places and we only have limited in our friendships because we don't want to be rejected. There was a book that came out years ago. It's called, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? And here's the answer. It's because if I tell you who I am and you don't like it, I'm up a creek without a paddle. Because that's all I've got. And so we spend most of our lives wearing these masks and pretending to be people we're not because if we let people see what we are, we're afraid that they're going to 
reject us. But the good news is that because God is a good God, He will never reject you. Even when you sin against Him, even when you hurt Him, even when you do what He's told you not to do, or when you don't do what He's told us repeatedly to do, we know that we can come back to Him humbly, asking His forgiveness, and we will get that. We can come back to God saying, God, you know I blew it. I messed up again. But you are a good father. It's who you are. And that's what matters. The Bible tells us Jesus understands our weaknesses. It says this, Jesus understands our weaknesses for he faced the same temptations we do and yet did not sin because he was perfect. So we come boldly with confidence to the throne of our gracious God and there we receive His mercy and we find grace for the help that we need. So how do I know that God is a good God? Because everything He does in this world is good. Because His plans for my life are good. Third, because God is always good, God puts my good above His good. And that, that may sound a little bit like heresy, but, but it's actually the gospel. It's the heart of the gospel, the good news that the king sacrifices himself for the peasants. In fact, it's really the only story throughout history where the king gives up his life for his people. And that's what makes our faith different than anything else. See, God says you've sinned. And you deserve punishment. And you deserve to go to hell. But he says, I am a good God and I love you and I am holy and I am just. And somebody's got to pay for that sin, so I'll do it. I'll die for you. That, that's the gospel. The king sacrificing himself. The ultimate expression of love where the shepherd gives his life for the sheep. John 10, 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. It's kind of unbelievable when you think about it that he's going to give his life for me. I mean, I don't know if any of you have ever been in charge of animals like sheep or anything, but would you give your life for a sheep? No. No, I guarantee no shepherd in history has ever surrendered his life to save one sheep. They're just sheep, right? But God, the creator of the universe, is a good God and he gave his life for you. And so whenever we look at a cross, right, whether you're wearing it around your neck on a necklace or you see it in the hospital or cemeteries or, or hanging on walls and decorations, whenever we see the cross, it's a reminder of the goodness of God. Nobody ever offered to pay for my sin except God. Because He's a good God. Romans 8.32 said, Since God did not spare even His own Son, but gave Christ up for us all, won't He now also give us everything we need? I, I love the encouragement in that verse. See, when Jesus Christ died for your sin, He solved our biggest problem. Right? He solved the problem of sin, of, of death. And so any other problem in our life really is small potatoes. 
I mean, if Jesus loved us enough to die for us, don't you think he also loves us enough to help with our bills and our health problems and our relationship issues? There's nothing we can't bring before him in prayer, knowing that he will meet our needs. The fourth, because God is a good God, he doesn't say yes to every request. Well, we kind of talked about this a little bit last week, but there's nothing in Scripture that says everything you ask for, you're going to get. God doesn't say yes to every request. And, and honestly, as I look back, I am so thankful that he doesn't. I mean, no loving parent would ever give their child everything they ask for, right? They would be spoiled to the core. So God doesn't give us everything we ask for, everything we want. He's not a, a genie or a magic wand or a vending machine. Right? I love vending machines. Right? You go into hospitals or restaurants, whatever, not restaurants, but stores and places, and you pop your dollar bill in there and you push the buttons and out pops the candy or the chips. Or the, it's good stuff, right? It's not good for you in any way, which really makes it good stuff. But it's just junk. See, God's not a vending machine. He's not going to give us junk. He's going to give us what's good for us. But what about the stuff that I think is good for me? And he says no. Right? Well, what about that? Well, last week I told you, God answers every prayer in one of four ways. He either says yes, no, not yet, or you've got to be kidding me. I've said some of those prayers, haven't you? And you look back and go, God's got to be shaking his head going, Tim, you've got to be kidding me. You don't have a clue. But God always answers prayer. Luke 11, verse 13 says this, Your fathers, you fathers, if you children ask for a fish to eat, would you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, would you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you, as sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? See, the point God is saying is He's never going to give us something that will be hurtful or harmful or bad for us. And He says, if us, if you and me as imperfect parents know how to give good things to our children, certainly our perfect, loving, wonderful heavenly Father knows how to give good gifts to us. And he'll never give us anything that is not good for us in that moment. I mean, sometimes we ask for things and we really don't understand what we're asking about. Once uh, the mother of James and John approached Jesus and she made this audacious request. She said, when you get to your kingdom, can one of my boys sit at your left and one at your right? In other words, she's saying, well, when you take this place of power, can my, can my boys be your right and left-hand men? Can they be in charge as well? I, I can see moms doing that, right? I can see John shaking his head going, oh, Mom, what are you doing? And Jesus says this. He says, you don't realize what you're asking for. He said, you have a very limited perspective. You don't get to see the whole picture. You don't get it. And I think there's a lot of times that God wants to say that to us too. When we pray for things and God says, man, you don't get it. You don't see the whole picture like I do. That, that's not really what you want. 
you want something completely different. So, so I'm not going to give you what you're asking for. I'm going to give you what you need. Because he's a good father. See, the test isn't when life is good, everything's going well, can I stand and say, yes, God is a good God. The test comes when everything's going wrong in our lives and when things aren't working out and things aren't changing like we hoped and we aren't getting the answers we wanted and, and, and we feel alone or we feel afraid. Are we still going to be able to stand and go, yes, Lord, you are a good, good Father. The ultimate test of our faith is going to happen thousands of times. And so the question is, do we trust our feelings? I mean, it's easy to feel good when, when everything is going great, right? Or do we trust our faith? Are we going to trust that God is good even when the sun isn't shining? The test of faith is not how high we jump and praise when things are great. The test is how straight do we walk the path when everything is going wrong. And so we have to trust in the goodness of God that his plans for my life are better than mine. Finally, because God is always good, he invites us to live with him forever. Is that not the greatest promise of all? God wants to show you his goodness, not just while we're here on earth, but for all eternity. And because he is a good God, he wants us to live with him forever. Psalms 23.6 says this, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. That's a pretty good promise, right? But he adds the end. He says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the great promise. And see, until you're absolutely convinced that God is a good God, and that he's always good, that he never does anything bad in our lives, until we understand his goodness... That's when our prayers are, are powerless, passionless. But when we realize that no, no matter how I feel, no, no matter what it looks like in this life, God is always caring for me and he is always for me. That he is a good God and he wants what's best for me. That he knows what will make me happy better than I know myself. When we understand that God is a, a good God and he is faithful and that becomes the foundation of our prayer, then our prayer life becomes more passionate and more purposeful. And we see the power. So let me ask you, as we're doing this 40 days of prayer, what, what do you want to see happen in your life? What changes do you want to see happen? I want you to commit over these next 40 days to really pray, to learn how to pray. And we're going to look through the next few weeks during the sermons and also in our small group time, we're going to learn how to pray effectively. And it all starts with the goodness of God. Because really, nothing more important in our life than learning how to pray effectively. It's how we tap into God's power and His presence and His peace and His plan. So what do you want to see happen? Again, James 4.2 says, you have not because you ask not. So what are you asking God for? You know, the Bible says Satan is not afraid of our, our plans. 
He's not afraid of our schemes. He's not afraid of our strategies or our programs or our budgeting. But he's scared to death of our prayer. Because he knows that when we pray, we are tapping into our lifeline with God. And he knows that any time God wants to do something really cool and great in our life, in our family's life, in our job, in our community, in our church, in our country, he starts by motivating us to pray. So if we commit to praying, watch out. Buckle up. Get ready for the adventure. We need God. We need to build our prayer life with him. Because things happen when we pray together. So as we close this morning, let me just ask you, what do you need most? Maybe what you need most this morning is to surrender your life to God. If that's what you desire,